more oppressive the government gets, the more opportunities to demonstrate his grace and preach his gospel. And number four, are you willing to go beyond the bounds of required obedience in order to demonstrate the lavish grace and goodness that God has provided in Christ? It's gospel-oriented. It's directed towards Jesus, but it is incredibly practical. Are you waiting for some opportunity to show the grace of Christ? You're just waiting. Lord, just give me a witnessing opportunity, right? You've probably had 50 in the past two months. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. But when you are in exile, you are to respond to the government of that country with grace, with submission in every place that is appropriate. Right? And Daniel is, a, is, is an incredible example of this. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 13, and here we have, a, a, again, a legal situation in which killing has been made legal. The decree went forth from Nebuchadnezzar, who could make any law that he wanted, remember. The highest power of, of most governmental systems is simply for someone to be able to say, I want this to happen, and it happens. That was Nebuchadnezzar. He could kill who he wanted and save whom he wanted, says the Bible. So the decree goes forth that the wise men should be slain because they were bad wise men. Couldn't figure out. He's Actually, they weren't all that bad. He had a dream, and he said, tell me the dream, you remember. Don't just tell me the interpretation. Anybody can do that. What did I dream? They're like, I mean, no wise man can do that. It's like, sorry, or I'm killing you. So he sends forth a decree that the wise men should be slain. They looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them because they were part of the wise men. And when they came to the door, right, that's, that's Chris's uh, parentheses here. Then Daniel replied and said, hey, just kill us. You know, God's principle is if there's oppression, just, you know, we'll just come and, and just, just slay us. That's fine. No, he didn't say that. Daniel replied, I love this, with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the king of the captain's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men under the legal decree of Nebuchadnezzar. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, um, the um, I added, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Why does he want to kill all the wise men like right now? And Arioch informed the king Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him more time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. He seeks to make a solution. He responds. Not by simply saying, yeah, it's fine to kill all the wise men. You can kill us. He says, um, can we talk about this? Can we work through this? Maybe there's something that can be done. And in this case, the Lord grants favor. I'm not saying the Lord will always grant favor in that way. But it's a great way to start. It's, it's the way to begin. So Christians can and should legally contest government evil, particularly when the government evil has been legalized, which it often is. That's how governments do their evil. They make it legal. And so certainly it is right and good to do all that we can to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let's not go there. Let's, and particularly when it comes to the ability to individually approach a government official and seek 
some kind of change to the situation. Always very powerful. Fighting through the legal system can also be done. It's less effective. This also does not say, or this, this principle also does not say, that Christians can't vote for governmental and legal change. In fact, we ought to be doing that, and if we're not, we're not very good citizens of our own country. Because unlike the citizens in the time of Jesus, we have the opportunity to influence our legal system for what is right and good by voting. And we ought to do that. And I'm convicted of this myself, that I ought to be more aware of what I'm supposed to be voting for. I'm not quickly trying to flip through the sheet, you know, that the political active, you know, the conservative uh, political committee sends to me the moment as I'm driving to the, you know, driving to the voting booth. I ought to know a little better than that what I'm doing. Christians are called to be good citizens of the countries in which they live, particularly as exiles, which is exactly what believers are in this country. Jeremiah 29.7, speaking to the Jews who have been carted away into, of all places, Babylon, an evil people with an evil government, says this, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. It's a good thing to try to make sure, you know, try to be involved in the government process to do all that you can to be a good citizen so that you will benefit and others around you will benefit as well. Titus 3.1 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good deed. And part of that is to participate in the political system as we can, as is appropriate to our amount of time and to our station and to the other things that the Lord has given us to do, so that we might do every good deed. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. First Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Do that which freedom engenders, most specifically don't sin. Also that involves enacting the things that freedom allows to be gracious, to be kind, to be considerate when it comes to the way even the government treat, treats those who are innocent. And this, of course, doesn't mean, E here, that Christians can't get involved in the political process. That's essentially what I've just said. Throughout history, God has placed believers in places of governmental authority to bring godly influence to bear for the purpose of accomplishing God's will. This has become increasingly difficult to do. Yet when a Christian can do this without compromise, it is a noble calling. The key word is when a Christian can do this without compromise. It's incredibly difficult to do, in, uh, even in our, the best, essentially, political system in the world. It is very hard to do. But there is a man who did it, not necessarily in our political system, but there is a man who did it in an even worse political system, and you know his name again. His name is Daniel. And so if someone is going to be involved in political service, rather than make excuses for the influence that he will have if he can somehow get to the highest levels of government, so he will compromise whatever is necessary to get there, he will lie, he will extort, he will hide his views, he will say one thing and do another for the purpose of getting into a place where he could then exert godly influence. Please, by the time he's gotten there, he is... He is, he is made so many compromises that he can exhibit no godly influence. But there was a man who served in government, it appears, for about anywhere between, uh, four, well, probably 50 to 70 years, and this is what was said of him at the end of his government service, serving in one of the most perverse and, and evil governments the world has known, 
Daniel 6, verse 4, Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. They already knew they couldn't do it on personal grounds. They had no shot whatsoever. So they tried, well, he's certainly done something wrong in the government. Certainly he's broken a rule. Certainly he has violated the voting practices or he's misused the PAC, whatever it might be. Certainly somewhere he's done this. Because remember, this is an incredibly advanced political culture as well. Probably even to some degree more advanced than our own when it comes to the ability to enact political things. Anyway, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said to him, we will find, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. And that does not mean they would look at the law and find somewhere where Daniel had violated it. You know what it means. It means that if we make God's law illegal, then we've got him for sure because he always does God's law. Amazing thought. The only way you could ever have any evil given against you is if someone makes God's law illegal. Amazing. Amazing. If our government officials, the best of them, would come close to this standard, we would perhaps have greater governmental influence from believers than we have. Better to follow this example. Always, by the way, prayer is commanded. 1 Timothy 2, 2, for kings and all those who in authority, says, I urge them, first of all, that intercession, petition, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Fascinating. Intercession uh, and thanksgiving as well. For kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This also does not mean, certainly, that Christians should encourage greater government oppression or offer to be oppressed even more. Certainly, it does not mean that. Going the extra mile doesn't mean, look, oppress me some more. That would be great. Human laws are just that, human laws. There's no particular benefit in obeying them over and above except where they will have impact for the gospel. So if the law says drive 75, if you you drive 70, you're like, look how spiritual I am. I'm going 70. Go 75. And I'm not necessarily accomplishing much. If the law says, you know, you have to pay this much in your taxes, it's probably not too beneficial to say, well, hey, I'll pay double. And I'm not encouraging you to do that. And that's probably kind of sore on some of your minds as it's right past April 15th. That's not what you're being asked to do here. Find every way possible not to give the government more money. They don't need it. It's yours. Well, it's not yours. It's the Lord. So give it to him. And by the way, yeah, it's like I'm not giving the government that money. It's mine. And so I'm going to keep it to do with what I want. Really? It's the Lord's. If he tells you to give it to the government, do it, which he does with taxes, and then give everything else back to him. All right, that's what it doesn't mean. What does it mean? And as I said before, for each one of these, what it doesn't mean, which is very important that we clarify, is not even, doesn't even hold a candle to the difficulty of what it does mean. Because it does mean that the heart attitude that we have towards any and every governmental system is one of grace, is one of hope, is one of thanksgiving, is one of service, is one of joy, and ultimately is one of seeking to see that Christ is proclaimed in the midst of that governmental system as something that is much more important to us than our tax money, than our ability to to go and have our vacations the way that we want to have them, for our desire that we would have comfort and security in our own country. Are those wrong things? They're not. Are they more important than the gospel? They aren't. 
And so this is going to strike us at the very core of who we are. Be careful when I've said the things that it isn't, that you somehow dismiss the things that it is, because it's going to strike us at the very core of who we are. I would say, in general, it seems, and that it's really true for each of these, that the more personal the interaction, the more close you are to a person in relationship to these things, the more the more effective you will be in enacting this. I'm not saying that you can't, you don't have to enact it just because it's the big bad governmental system. You still have to do that. But the closer you get to someone who is actually oppressing you, just as for the legal system and even for the personal insult probably starts in in the most personal way. That's a person directly insulting you so you have a, a relationship with them. These principles are going to be most effective as they have to do with personal relationship, either in this case with the one who's oppressing us or with those around us who are watching how we respond when people oppress us. It isn't simply that it's a wonderful thing to you know, say how great the system is. It's a wonderful thing to respond properly to the system when it will impact, it will impact those who are oppressing us and those who are watching us be oppressed. This has to do with relationship. So we don't have to praise a particular system in that sense. What we have to do is respond properly to it so that the gospel might be proclaimed. First, what does this mean? That we must have a desire to silence the ignorance of foolish men through gracious submission to difficult commands. We are to have a desire to silence the ignorance of foolish men through gracious submission to difficult commands. Turn to 1 Peter 2. I already read from there, but turn there now. One of the one of the many challenging passages on how we're supposed to respond to the government. And First Peter is all about, again, how a Christian lives in the midst of government oppression, probably not at full scale during the time when Peter was writing it. That probably happened fairly soon after the book of First Peter was written. But nonetheless, he is gearing them up for how they will respond as things get increasingly worse when it comes to government oppression. And he says all kinds of incredibly difficult things. But in First Peter chapter two. Verses that I read before, verse 13. By the way, this flows right. I really need to read verse 12, which says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. There shouldn't be a break there. There is just because they're giving you another heading. One of the primary ways that you do good deeds is you honor government authority. And you do that for the Gentiles. So that's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourself, for the Lord's sake then, to every human institution as a means of, if we're putting this in context of verse 12, of keeping your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And this is going to be made specific in verse 15. It says, you're doing this to every human institution, whether to the king as the one in authority or to governors. So it says institution and then personalizes it, that those who represent the institution, the individuals, the king, the governors, the people who bring about these laws and commands. These are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, the praise of those who do right. But then verse 15, for such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. By submitting properly to the government, by having a Roman officer come and say, you have to carry my pack one mile, taking it one mile graciously, and then going the second mile, what are you ultimately doing? You're going to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What is that all about? A primary means of finding fault with Christians is in their response to governing authority, and really to authority in general. 
If Christians are disobedient, haughty, deceitful, and generally unsubmissive, they provide an easy target for unbelievers who, although they do this even more than believers, know that following the rules of the land is what is right. So look, don't make yourselves an easy target. You want to share the gospel, and here you are railing against the government, refusing to do and respond and submit to the governing authorities when they come, and then you're telling everyone else they ought to respond to Christ. When people know, and if we read the Bible to them for very long, they will know that every governing authority is set in place by God, and so you're telling them to reject the authority set in place by God, but that they had better listen to Him? It makes sense. And so we're not, when we reject the Roman official, as it were, the Roman guard that comes and says, legally you have to carry my pack. I refuse to do that. I will not. You cannot take advantage of me in that way. And ignorant men, and the foolishness of ignorant men is just simply those who don't know Christ. And they don't know how a true believer ought to respond to these things. And they don't understand that ultimately all authority is in place by God. And so that gives you the power to do this. And so they look at you and go, what, what is that? What, what kind of, what, you know, what, what kind of, how are you acting and doing what is right? Why would you tell me to do what is right? And so they have a means of accusation against us when we do those things. Now, why is this so difficult? Well, let's try to get underneath this a little bit. We don't like injustice, right? Doesn't seem particularly just that a Roman a Roman guard or a Roman soldier could you you're out you know sweeping off your chariot you're spraying it off or whatever, and they come and they say hey I know you're busy you're mowing your lawn right what half of you did yesterday running around trying to get before you knew it would rain all day today, I see you're trying to do this and the Roman soldier comes in and says hey yeah you're right in the middle of mowing the lawn no carry my pack, oh we hate that's that's injustice generally it's not a right thing necessarily that he would be able to do that, but you guys. Injustice against us is something that we can set aside if in responding rightly to that government official, we might say, you know, it's hard for me to do. I'm busy. I'll do this for you because I'm a servant of Christ. That's legal. I know that I should, so I'll respond. I'll respond to what the government tells me to do. But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I want to show you that Jesus is great. So give me the pack. Oh, you need to go one mile? Well, I'll, I'll take it too because I want to show you the lavish grace of Jesus who certainly went more than one mile for me beyond what was legally required in, in one sense. Certainly what, beyond what we would say, you know, in our minds would, would be just, that is to die for those who hated him, although in God's economy it was just. But we don't like injustice, and yet God doesn't like injustice either. And he paved the way for you to be redeemed from your sin and your injustice by justly and rightly punishing his own son. What an amazing thought. We don't like to submit at all. We're a proud people. We don't want to submit to anything that we haven't personally agreed to. We don't want anyone to rule over us or to have authority to require things which put us at a disadvantage. This is who we are as human beings, but it is not who we are as believers. We're able to submit. We're able to come underneath the authority of others. Again, because in doing so, we will be able to demonstrate the one who submitted himself to his father and ultimately submitted himself to the very creatures that he spoke into existence, that they would spit on him and nail him to a bloody cross. Can we do less? When it comes to pursuing the gospel through our obedience, and remember the things I said it doesn't mean, please, those are important. There's going to be a lot of things it does mean. When it comes to responding to this kind of oppression, particularly in our attitudes, again, as always, even if we were to pursue illegal action or, or try to protect the innocent, that always in our hearts would be the desire to be willing to submit in any way possible that we might be able to demonstrate the heart of the one who submitted to his father. 
See, our hearts deceive us. Sometimes standing up against government oppression is simply the expression of our hatred of submission, and we would be better served to expend our energies elsewhere in serving and being gracious and kind and gentle. We don't like to be taken advantage of. We take much pride as a people in not letting others get the better of us, don't we? This command seems to be an invitation to be taken advantage of. It isn't. Because you see, to be taken advantage of is when someone who is foolishly or is foolish or ignorant of the fact that they're even being taken advantage of. So you foolishly go, yeah, I don't even know any better. So you're doing this foolish thing. No, you're not doing that. The oppression comes and you go, you know what? I know that's not the best thing. I wouldn't put that law into place. I don't think that's the most just thing to do, but I'm choosing to do it so that I might show who Jesus is. So I'm being taken advantage of. You are wisely enacting the commands of Jesus that you might bring to bear the reality of who he is. You see, someone who is foolishly or ignorantly being taken advantage of needs to stop being a fool. At that point, they can make a good decision about whether or not to let a particular situation continue, biblically speaking. Suffering, which certainly this law engendered, both of losing time and effort and also physical suffering of having to walk this mile and then go another mile with probably a, a, a very heavy pack and other things that uh, whatever else this Roman soldier would throw on, the, on top, we need to learn that suffering is not the worst thing that can happen to us and remember that our Lord suffered far worse. The primary issue is what we are suffering for. Now look at 1 Peter 2.18, just a little past the place, the place where we were. It says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor for the sake of conscience towards God. A person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. It's not saying you find every place where you can be harmed. Oh, we've already been through that. But physical suffering, if you were to suffer that for the sake of conscience towards God, doing that which is right and good to demonstrate the reality of who Jesus is and speak forth the reality of the gospel with your lips, it's worth it. It's worth it. The last point here is desire to show Christ, and I've already been speaking of this, so this kind of summarizes our points. Desire to show Christ to the one oppressing you by having a joyful, graceful attitude. Are we willing to suffer all these things for the sake of Christ, to glorify God, to advance the gospel? When you are filling out your tax forms and handing it into, or filling out your stuff for the person who prepares your taxes, and they're saying, ah, don't you hate this? Well, you know, I, I don't really particularly like paying this amount of taxes, and I'm not even sure this is the most just thing to do. But I'm really thankful to my God that he has granted me a country where I can live and I'm willing to submit to these governing authorities if I might be able to demonstrate the reality of Christ to them and to you. I'm a Christian. And so these things don't have to bother me too much because it's not really my money anyway. Can you imagine? It might change the person who does your tax preparing. It might entirely change their, their view of Christians and their view of God, if you were to do that. And think of all the other areas. Obamacare, I, I know many of you don't like it. And, and there's certainly way. I mean, if we can work through things and, and have a more just system in place, wonderful. But you're railing against it is not going to help anyone see Jesus. And I'm as guilty of those things as you. A kingdom citizen can live this way precisely for the reason that he answers to the king of kings. And he doesn't need to find his security, his power, his pleasure, or his independence 
from being properly treated by the king or people in his country of exile. You're not going to live here very long. You're going to live underneath a king who will never treat you harshly, who will allow you to express the fullness of freedom in every way that is joyful for all of eternity. Be willing to suffer oppression now so that you might live ever more joyfully with no oppression forever. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of that power which He has even to subject all things to Himself. He will subject all things, including your body. Give it now so that we might be able to be an example for Jesus. Don't despise the one oppressing you in your heart. Don't do evil to the one oppressing you. These are fundamental regardless of what is happening, even if you are pursuing some kind of legal action to help the innocent. Don't make things difficult for the one oppressing you. I mean, you know how this would work. You got to take my pack. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get my pack. Oh, I tripped and dropped it on the ground. Sorry, let me pick that up. Oh, yeah, you know, I've got to stop. I need to stop and go. I need to go use the restroom, whatever it might be. You know, I can't keep t- every way to delay possible because this, this Roman soldier might be on the way to go, go kill a Jew can't imagine what's going on here. So every way to delay impossible? No. We're not to make it difficult in that way. Be willing to do even more for the one who, who oppresses you, again, especially and particularly as you express the gospel through it, so that by voluntary, voluntarily serving him after mandatory service, you might demonstrate the reality of your Savior. These are amazing, challenging things. And so I have several questions then to ask of you. The first one is this. Does your pride make you slow to submit and quick to take offense? Does your pride make you slow to submit and quick to take offense? You need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Secondly, do you view the government as an enemy to be overcome or an instrument of God to be obeyed? It's the nature of who who the government is. If it is always for you some kind of enemy, you find yourself in opposition to whom? God, be careful. Be careful. That's the lesson of Romans 13. Number three, do you view difficulty and oppressive government as a hated transgression of your personal rights or a blessed opportunity to demonstrate Christ's likeness to the glory of God? Just as being having a legal suit brought against you to take the very shirt off your back is an opportunity for you to demonstrate the grace of God. So is an oppressive government coming and a government official saying, take my stuff and walk a mile. It is not a, an opportunity of, of harm towards you. It is a sovereign act of God that you might demonstrate his grace. The more oppressive the government gets, the more opportunities to demonstrate his grace and preach his gospel. And number four, Are you willing to go beyond the bounds of required obedience in order to demonstrate the lavish grace and goodness that God has provided in Christ? It's gospel-oriented. It's directed towards Jesus, but it is incredibly practical. Are you waiting for some opportunity to show the grace of Christ? You're just waiting. Lord, just give me a witnessing opportunity, right? You've probably had 50 in the past two months when it came to not complaining about the government in the presence of others and instead talking about the grace of God that allows you to present Christ. You, that, you've probably had 50. You don't have to pray for some special opportunity. You're being given them literally hour by hour in our country. And please, 
I stand as convicted as you. But I don't stand exonerated from having to do this. We are to what? Go the extra mile. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us grace, great grace, to be able to deal with an increasing government hostility in our country, it seems to us, in a place where we have in many ways, for many years, been favored. And Lord, I pray that you would help us respond in ways that are, are true to the gospel, that when we are oppressed, that we would be willing even to do more with a good attitude and an attitude that speaks forth the truth of the gospel. Give us this grace that we might silence the ignorance of foolish men, that we might demonstrate your lavish grace to us, and that we might do that in a way that, that is because of conscience towards you. Or give us many opportunities. Help us take hold of the opportunities we have so that we might present you as great. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.